Thank you so much. Why don't we put our hands together? Let's welcome Kingsgate London, Leicester, Cambridge, Cafe Church. So great to have you joining us today as we look at uh, the continuation of our series on the beauty of a transformed life. And we're in part two of looking at how we can grow in community. As Simon unpacked for us last week, I trust you're grateful that not only do you receive salvation individually and you receive God as your father, but God calls you to be part of his glorious uh, worldwide family. Isn't it amazing? We get the privilege not just of a new identity, but of a new sense of belonging. But if we're going to grow in community, it takes some work, it takes some effort. You know, I believe Kingsgate Church, we're doing really well together. But how do you know there's far much more, more that we can do in growing together, in our relationships together, in honoring one another. Talking about growing in relationships, many of you know that Karen and I have recently celebrated um, 33 years of marriage, which, uh, and as I look back o- over the years, we've had some different seasons and particularly think about a defining time when we've been married for about 15 years, we were still totally committed to one another, uh, there was still something of a spark of romance. We'd say we had a pretty good marriage, but we decided to go on the marriage course because we were aware that um, we had some challenges. Any other married couples ever have those? (laughs) Anyway, the the challenges were twofold. First was, I think it's just the ongoing journey of two becoming one and, you know, natural selfishness. The other was, uh, looking back, we probably just still didn't really get one another after 15 years of marriage. And so uh, as, as we were on the marriage course, we came to the final session and it was unpacking the whole idea of love languages, the idea that Each of us have different love languages that are ways that we express love and ways that we receive love. And we had a light bulb moment. I mean, I thought we were different. But on that session, just how different became clear. So what became clear was my primary receiving love language was words of affirmation. Karen's was receiving practical help. And suddenly, a lot of things started making sense. So it started making sense to me why, in spite of my fairly regular professions of love and affection, if I failed to put out the bins on a regular basis, it just didn't cut it. Or, more positively... Just the impact of regular cups of tea in bed in the morning and doing practical jobs around the house actually meant more than verbal things to Karen, even though I love you helped along the way. And then in reverse, um, for me, you know, Karen demonstrated and still does amazingly her love in practical serving, doing amazing um, stuff for me and around the house. But, um, you know, I said, well, a few words of affirmation and love and affection along the way wouldn't go any harm. (laughs) And so from that light bulb moment, we we started working on some things. We already were doing okay, but I can honestly say 18 years later, we've worked on our marriage, we've grown together, and not only are we more deeply in love together, but we're actually enjoying the fruits of our marriage because we've, we've... navigated and began to practice this challenging art of loving each other in the way God has commanded us to do. Now, this is not a sermon on marriage, but if the cap fits, wear it. 
This is actually a, a message about how we can grow in the community or the family of God's people. You see, just as Karen and I, when we, we made our vows, we made a commitment to be together. So when we become Christians, we're born again. We get born into the family of God. And as we worked on our marriage like marriage partners, to grow in community means we don't just enjoy the blessings and privileges of belonging. If we're going to grow, we actually have to accept some of the responsibilities. And at the heart of our responsibility as Christians together, if you like our horizontal relationships one to another, is to obey the new commandment Jesus gave us, which is what? Love one another as I have commanded you and as I have loved you. And so how do we love one another better? How many want to grow in community? Well, two main ways, by serving and by giving. What does love look like? Firstly, love serves. Love serves. Jesus demonstrated this to the principal character of our series, the Apostle Peter and the other disciples, at a particular meal, famous, famous incident in John 13, just before the Passover. We read in John 13, verse 1, how Jesus, having loved his own, he now loved them to the end, to, to the fullness, to the, to the duration, or to the full extent. He's loving them to the end, and then he does something dramatic and visual to demonstrate how much he loves them. And so we see that during the mealtime, Jesus, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, maybe it's not always obvious to us today, but let me just tell you, this was shocking. I mean, how many don't like the idea of washing dirty feet even today? But, you know, in a culture where, you know, they wore open sandals, they walked around, it, it wasn't, let's just say, the most pleasant of jobs. And actually, it was considered in the Jewish culture to be one of the most menial tasks. Um, one of the, the rabbis actually said that it was too menial even for a male Jewish slave. So th th this is kind of the lowest of the low jobs. Like, I don't know, what would be an equivalent? Cleaning toilets or something. You know, this was not a pleasant job. This was, this was dirty work. And yet, shockingly, Jesus, who was not just a Jewish male, but was the rabbi, and of course we know um, from John 13 was the word made flesh. Here's God himself. And we would agree that God needs to be served, doesn't he? Jesus, the Lord, is the one who needs to be served. And yet Jesus completely redefines greatness and leadership, and he himself takes the role of a menial slave and starts washing his disciples' dirty, smelly feet. Shock factor. <laughs> and all's going well until he gets to Peter, and I haven't got time to unpack it, read it afterwards. There's a com comical interchange when Pete, Peter manages to get the point wrong at every stage. Don't you just love Peter? <laughs> Having then washed Peter's feet and the rest of the disciples, Jesus comes to the object lesson. He says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example, can we read this together, that you should do as I have done 
for you. I don't believe from the rest of the New Testament it necessarily substantiates the fact that Jesus meant literally foot washing, but it's actually a picture of sacrificial serving of one another. And here's Jesus setting us a high bar for serving. How many want to still want to grow in community? Well, then let's not lower it to the lowest common denominator. Let's look again at Jesus and see what he did and see what he commanded. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to say, wherever we're at on the journey of serving, Lord, I want to grow in sacrificially serving other people. And the one another here was actually in the context of the community of faith, the people of God. Let's grow in serving one another. Now, I want to start by just celebrating the fact that all across Kingsgate, in all our locations, we've got hundreds, probably thousands of amazing people who are faithfully serving the house of God and one another. Karen and I are amazed and grateful at at what we see happening all around every week. But let's be honest that partly our selfishness, but also the culture we live, doesn't exactly shout at us to go and sacrificially serve people around you. In fact, our culture, even more than the culture that Jesus and Peter were in, is a largely individualistic culture. We don't really get community naturally in a way they did. And secondly, it's a consumerist culture. And if we're not careful, we can bring the consumerism of our culture into the church community, and rather than our default mode being, how can I serve you, it's, serve me. Isn't that right? I'm the center, aren't I? And so we, we can bring that into church if we're not careful. Rather than coming and think, what's the first thing I can do? How can I serve these people? How can I make this community great? How can I invest my time, talents, treasure, and help loads of people's lives be transformed? Very often, if we're not careful, we can bring a consumerist attitude into church that says, right, l- l- let me sit back. Come on, serve me, feed me. And, and, you know, I'm just going to be on the receive mode. Can I say that if we want to be like Jesus and we want to be followers of his, yes, thank God we can receive from being amongst the people of God. But let's be servants. Let's be contributors, not just consumers. Uh, Jasmine, in a great message in the summer on serving, used this phrase. Let's be those who take up the towel, not throw in the towel. Let's take up the serving towel. For those of you who already are doing, let me encourage you. Let's keep on doing it and become more like Jesus. For those of you who've never, ever perhaps decided to get on board and start serving the people of God, can I encourage you, take up the serving towel. So how do we do this? Well, uh, two, two basic ways. The first is what I call by a general attitude, an inner attitude of, I want to be like Jesus, therefore, I want to have a heart to serve, even if it's not particularly pleasant. Have a heart to serve. Just mucking in, because we are the family of God, we want to do what needs to be done. Talking of family, I'm reminded of many family Christmases that we've had over the years, Uh, particularly when we've gone to my mum and dad's. And as the family grew, and we ended up at one stage with four generations celebrating Christmas, I think nearly 20 people at one Christmas. How many know if you've ever hosted Christmas, 20 people is quite a lot of people to look after? 
I mean, it's a big operation. Uh, my mum is very servant-hearted, got a, an amazing gift of hospitality, she, but she's also quite smart. And so she figured out earlier on that, that if we, she wasn't going to have to do, do all the work, when we arrived, we saw on the kitchen a nicely constructed rotor. <laughs> you thought rotors only existed in Kingsgate. No, they exist in our family. And, and uh, under each, each meal, we had get, uh, lay the table, <laughs> prepare or cook the food, and do the washing up. Three, times a, three meals a day over the duration of our time together. Um, yeah, I always got put on washing up duty after Christmas lunch. Not out of punishment, because I wasn't so useful in the cooking department, so they always gave me th that job. Now, imagine how it had gone, and I say, I I'm sorry, Mum, I'm not gifted for the washing up. <laughs> it's not my ministry. Imagine how that would have gone. Thankfully, I never thought that. <laughs> More to the point, I never uttered it. <laughs> would not have gone well. Why? Because I enjoy the food, so what do I got to do? Help with the washing up. Why? Because I'm part of a family. And actually, we had quite a lot of fun. It was normally me and my brothers. We'd lark around, flick one another with um, drying up cloths, banter, and, you know, within about half an hour, dirty pans, and, you know, we, we'd done the job. I wouldn't say we became very skilled at it, but we did it. <laughs> And I just want to say, when it comes to serving, I, I want just to ask the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. It's not that we are serving the church. We are the church. We're not just doing a job on a rotor. We're just playing our part in the family. And if rotors help us organize not just 20 people, but two, three, four thousand people, then, hey, let's go with it. And I, I really just want to say, if you're already doing that, do it with joy because we're serving the family of God. If you've never, ever said, uh, taken up the serving towel, you know, today's an amazing opportunity to do so. After the service, you can, you can check out all our ministry teams and find a place where, where, where you get started. You know, there's Sunday things to do. There's midweek things to do. There's life groups where we can express our serving. Let's be those who serve like Jesus doing what needs to be done, operating as family, and let's be faithful in it too. Let, let's make sure, you know, if we're on a road, let's turn up on time. Let's do it to the best of our ability. Let's not go AWOL. Let's make sure that, that we are playing our part. Why? Because we are family. Now, on this foundational heart to serve, do whatever it takes, I believe if we're to grow in community, we also need to grow in, if you like, discovering the place or the area where our heart is. In other words, where we are most wired and gifted. Because, you know, you are going to be most effective and fulfilled. God is going to be most glorified and others are going to be helped when you spend most of your serving time, sometimes you just have to do what needs to be done, but most of your serving time in areas where you are best fitted. I mean, I could, out of a heart to serve, resurrect my early tambourine playing ministry, <laughs> but it might not be a great blessing to you. I'm so glad I've got more skilled musicians who've released me from that all those years ago. And so we need to, yes, serve 
wherever the needs are, but also increasingly say, Lord, help me to discover where I can be most effective. And Peter himself picks up on this in a classic passage on ministry, gift-orientated ministry, if you like, in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Now, we can just keep those verses up for a moment because it's just packed full of truth. The first is, let me ask you a question. By implication in that verse, how many people in a church context, in a church family community, has God given gifts to? Everyone, each of you, not just a special few, every single one of you, everyone listening to me, watching me right now, God has graced you with a gift or gifts. And there's a unique combination of talents and passion and, and ability and, and spiritual gifts that only you can fulfill that particular role. That's the first thing. We've all been given gifts. But if we've been given gifts, we have to use them. We have to use them. It's really strong language here. He's talking about how God, who's given us the gifts, has called us to be stewards. We are responsible. We, if you like, to manage or exercise what God has given us. And, you know, it's worth just saying that we will give an account for how we used our gifts in serving others. You know that, don't you? There will be rewards for those who have faithfully served in the age to come. We don't earn our salvation, but we do get rewards through faithful serving. So if sometimes serving feels a bit tough, just remember that the end is coming. There's going to be a great reward. It went extremely quiet then. But it's true. We're not just serving for this life. We are serving with eternity in mind. Every time we serve somebody, we know that we are blessing the Lord and there is going to be a great reward. But the implication from these verses is we've got to use what we have. Don't leave it on the shelf. Use the gift. And the context here is actually use the gifts in the family of God. Um, previous chapters, Peter's been focusing in 1 Peter more about our ministry to the world and how we interact with, with, with the world around us. But he's turned the corner here in chapter 4, looking at the church community. Now, it doesn't mean it's the only place you use your gifts. You can use it in family, at work, in your mission field. That, that's a given. But here he's saying, it's not that you pick and choose these. If you like, a primary place to use your spiritual gifts is in the family of God. So aren't we generous giving you an opportunity to serve and many opportunities? Seriously, we want to help you grow in using your gifts and as a result, you will grow and we will grow in community. So the question is, how do we discover our gifts? Well, the first and the foundational way is start serving somewhere. Some people make the mistake of sitting around wait, waiting for the angel Gabriel to appear, appear saying, thus that the Lord, I'm calling you to be part of the welcome team. No, no, if, if, you're, if you're here and you're on board, you're a committed member and you know, you have a, you're an extrovert, you like people, well, it might be a good place for you to start. 
So just, I would say the number one way, way we, we get on board is through what I call experimentation. Just get serving somewhere. Trust that you'll know, God will show you, and others will help you discern where your best fit is. That's the first thing, experimentation. But we are also feeling increasingly stirred as, as, a, as a team to do more to help every Kingsgate member grow and discover his or her best fit, if you like. And so um, this week in Life Groups, we're going to be giving out a Discover Your Destiny booklet that Dave Robertson's put together um, using the acronym of SHAPE. So S standing for what's your spiritual gifts, H standing for what's your heart or your passion, your burden, A, what's, you know, what are you best at, your abilities, P, your personality, and E, your experience. And together, we want to help equip all of our Kingsgate members to thrive and flourish in the place that God has wired them. And very excited about what, what God is going to do as a result. So have a heart to serve, and then we want to help you serve where your heart is. And as we do that, guess what happens? God gets glory. Many lives get transformed, but we also get blessed too. I've got a short, very short video of just uh, four volunteers who just want to share something of how they've discovered uh, what God wants to do through them as they start serving. Please watch this. We both love making people feel welcome and accepted and involved. So that's why um, being on the door on a Sunday was, it was a perfect fit for us to do. I love serving in Stuart's team because I, I have the passion inside of me to see the people's lives transform. It's powerful. I, I love, I adore serving God. I love serving here as part of the worship team at Kingsgate. It felt like a real family to me and it's been an opportunity to be part of something far bigger than myself. Serving is a great opportunity just to get connected into the life of the church. I've loved absolutely every second of it and I would really encourage you to do the same. Why don't we just put our hands together and thank everyone who's serving so amazingly in all of our Kingsgate centres. That's the first thing. If we want to grow in community, we need to serve. Love serves. But secondly, love gives. Can we say that together? Love serves. Love gives. Say it again. Love serves and love gives. As the author of the book of my favourite musical said, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. If we go back to our family Christmas, is it was a tradition that my mum and dad always hosted Christmas. I think it was uh, to a large extent because they always traditionally had the largest house. Um, a bit of a confession here. Um, we went to my mum and dad's until I was, guess what age? 38. <laughs> and we'd actually been married for 16 years. Then Karen and I had a revelation. We're not children anymore. <laughs> We're adults. <laughs> Maybe we should think about hosting Christmas. So, so since then, we've started generally alternating and hosting Christmas too. Now, if any of you have hosted Christmas, you know, not only is there a kind of a serving and a doing practically, how many know it costs quite a bit? Particularly, there's a lot of people. And so we started bear, rightly bearing, if you like, some of the financial cost of Christmas. And both prior to that, and, in, and once we discover just how much it costs now, even when we do go down to mum and dad's, 
um, we will actually make sure we contribute financially to the running of Christmas. Why do we do that? Mum and dad never told us to do that. There's no obligation. Why do we do it? Because we are family. It's just the thing that families do. And so when we come to looking at giving in the context of the church family, I believe that's the spirit and the attitude we need to adopt. We don't just give to honor God, although that's first. We give because we want to help the family of God. Now, the culture that Peter, the disciples, and Jesus would have grown up with, the Jewish culture based on the Old Testament scriptures, they would have had a very fully formed understanding and a much greater awareness of being the people of God, the chosen people, and of contributing both to the needs of the whole community and the ministry of, if you like, the temple or the storehouse, but also an ingrained sense of responsibility to needy, the needy within the community. It's what I would call, um, they had storehouse giving and alms giving. Let, let, let me look at both. The first is storehouse giving. That's, if you like, giving into the ministry of the whole community. And we see that in the classic passage in Malachi chapter 3. It's a familiar verse, but I want to just give another angle on this. It says, bring the whole tithe into the, where? Storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Storehouse, food in my house. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with this concept, it was the idea that the first response of the people of God when they received um, income, crops, whatever, they were to dedicate the first 10%, the first fruits, and give it into the, if you like, the community ministry, bring it into the temple, and embedded in that same worldview and culture, our Old Testament, is this idea that they gave offerings over and above. And that continues on into the New Testament today, but with a different, with a different angle. You see, in the Old Testament, they brought the tithes to a place which was the physical temple. You know God still has a temple or a house today. And so if we fast forward and put a New Testament lens on to this, this, this Old Testament truth. What is it? 1 Peter 2 verse 5, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. It says to Christians now, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So we're not giving to a remote, even noble spiritual organization. Guess where the house of God is? God is. It's us. We're it. <clears throat> and so we share, just like in a family context, we share in the privileges, we eat the food, and we pay the bills. Is that right? That's, that's a New Testament communal understanding of how we to view giving. So I love that sense of food in my house, that the, might, the ministry might be provided for. That is our heart if we are members and if we are part of or partners in the local church. And just like in, a, in our family context, you know, contributing together, spread the load, it's exactly the same in the spiritual house. Now, I, I want to just pause again and commend the hundreds of you who are amazingly faithful givers. You know, you're tithing, many of you are giving over and above, year after year, some, some month after month, away above the tithe. And, I, you know, and thank you so much for what you're doing. And we, we can be assured that as we give in this way, God is honored, 
We experience Malachi 3 blessings, open heaven and protection. But also there's the promise here, there is food in the house. So Sunday by Sunday, as if you like, we provide spiritual food and we, we, we help resource next-gen ministries. Isn't it amazing to hear all the young people's lives are being transformed our midst? Isn't that incredible? Absolutely amazing. And people getting saved on Alpha and lives getting changed, celebrate recovery and beta and all the courses we do and incredible pastoral work and life groups and the way we can serve the poor in the church and community action and we can bless people overseas and we can set up new centers and we can help equip other churches across the nation and into Europe. Why? Because we're bringing food into the house of God. We're part of it. Every time a life is changed, we've all invested together. What better way to invest our money, not just on ourselves, no. We are family and we're contributing, if you like, to the eternal transformation of people's lives. And that part of our income, if you like, is going to last forever. We can't take our money with us, but we can invest in people who will be there on the final day. Glory to God. So the sense of this, this, this communal giving in tithes and offerings, that's storehouse giving. There's a second dimension I just want to close with which was established in the Old Testament. It was what's I called as almsgiving or charity or giving to the poor. And if we again look at the New Testament, particularly the church in Jerusalem, of which Peter was, if you like, a founding leader and key figure, we see a radical generosity where they didn't just give, um, as it were, to the whole, they had a real acute sense of being family and community, and therefore they were very aware of those in need and sought to help those in need. And so in a summary verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves, amongst other things, to the fellowship. That word fellowship is based on the Greek koinonia, which has the idea of having things in common. In other words, they were a community together. Then just look at needs as over there. Needs were here because they were community or family. And then we have, amazingly, of the, the five verses that unpack what that looks like in verses 43 to 47, two of the five verses talk about their togetherness, their fellowship, their community was expressed in financial giving and helping one another. Do you think that's inter- I think it's interesting, 40% of these five verses. And so it makes the point to me that, and I've said this for years, that if there were no needs in the ministry and if there were no needy individuals, I still believe we need to talk about this stuff because uh, love gives. Uh, Isn't that right? You know, Jesus said the number one rival to a love of God is love of money. And so do you realize it's good for you to give? It is. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So we see what's going on here. And this is radical. All the believers together had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I haven't got time to unpack that. But let me just say, this isn't actually communism. Um, They're not literally um, selling everything and putting it into a a common purse. Because later on in Acts 4, we see there were people like Barnabas, wealthy individuals who still had fields and sold them to to bring to the apostles' feet. And then they were distributed to the poor. So it's not communism, but it is pretty radical community, isn't it? It's pretty radical community. And so as, as we think about how we can grow in community... Let's, let's grow in being more generous and, and let's all be faithful in sharing the load in giving to the storehouse tithes and offerings.
But let's say, Lord, do a deeper work in us that we might be more aware of needs around us. And can I say, it's already happening, and I celebrate that. I hear all the time, and have done over 30 years, of incredible giving in, in, in many ways, particularly within our life groups, and it, it's stunning. We also help with those who need sometimes through central funds, but much of the giving is just going on of people caring for one another, um, looking out for one another. I just had an email in this week of a lady who's going through all kinds of different things, health issues, um, financial problems, and the life group gathered around her. They helped take her to and fro hospital. They gave her words of spiritual encouragement. They sought to meet her physical needs. They, they cooked meals for, for her. And no surprise, in that whole environment of loving community and giving, she resurrendered her life to Jesus Christ. Is that wonderful? Why? Because we, we demonstrate love in practical deeds. So, as, as we seek to conclude, can I encourage all of us, uh, even where we're doing well, let, let's allow the Holy Spirit, who gives the grace and the strength and the words and the resources, let's allow him to empower us to grow further in community. If you're already doing it in, in a measure, well done, but let's keep allowing the Lord to change our hearts. Amen? From selfishness to servanthood, from serve me and bless me to I want to be a giver. I want to be like Jesus. And then for those of you who've never started on the journey of serving or giving, you know, consider what your next steps are and obey the Lord. I want to tell you, you will grow and we will grow as a result. But wherever we're at on the journey of growing community and serving and giving, let me just remind you that whatever we do for the Lord and in the name of the Lord is actually really small compared to what Jesus has done for us. In the words of Mark 10, verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or as Peter put it, again in 1 Peter chapter 1, looking back at the, 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 the work on the cross, knowing that Jesus didn't just come to wash our feet, he came to bear our sins on the cross. Peter put it this way. You were saved. You were bought not with something that ruins like silver or gold. In other words, it's good to give financially. There's something even more precious than silver and gold. What is it? With his precious blood. He gave his all that we might have a father. We might have a family. We might have a future. We might have peace. We might have hope. We might have eternal life. He gave it all. He served us to the uttermost. He gave his very life for us. What would he have us do in return? Let's pray. Father, we offer ourselves to you in the name of and on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus. And I pray, Father, you would help all of us together in all of our locations grow in community. That you might be honored that we might be fulfilled and that many others might be able to join in and let there be an overflow of your radical love to the world around. In Jesus' name, amen.